Okay. So um, I want to jump on here today. Um, last week, we had a very interesting discussion. And um, that was all about being a Bainini, having Bainini moments, uh, the ability that at any moment we can tell ourselves, I don't want to be a fool. I know deep down that I would give up my life for God, which means I don't want to temporarily disconnect myself, right? That's what we said. That was the argument. The argument was if you would be willing, right, not to bow down to an idol for five minutes, you'd rather give up your life than bow down to an idol for five minutes. Surely you could tell yourself, well, I don't want to allow my evil inclination to fool myself um, even for a moment uh, in the day and, and say, well, you'll sin, you'll still be connected to God. And again, that's what I said. That's what we all, uh, that's what, you know, tricks us all is, is, is convincing ourselves. Now, if you study Chabad Hasidic philosophy, you will see the concept of fooling ourselves plays a big theme, especially those who learn the Basi Lagani, the, uh, the uh, basic uh, teaching of the Rebbe that he, he started teaching before he became Rebbe. A lot of the discussion there is about the Shtus, the, uh, the, um, the inner folly. It's a discussion that's discussed a lot in Hasidic philosophy, the folly, the foolishness, now, really realizing that our evil inclination is is foolish and it's really tricking us. It's what I've, we discussed in the Tanya smokescreen. And we, we will get to a little bit more of the smokescreen of the animal soul today. I just wanted to point out there's a great uh, Hasidic discourse that you can, uh, they, they, they translate it online. Um, I'm trying to look for the translation. Kuntra Sumayan Hasidic Heritage Series. They, they have it... Um, I think we have some in Seoul. It's called Overcoming Folly, if anybody's interested. Um, it's a great, great, um, a great, great discourse, great book. Um, it's a classic, you know, when you're in yeshiva, that's like one of the first things you learn. I'll, I'll actually stick it here in the chat. It's called Overcoming Folly, a uh, very powerful discourse. Um, so it's worth um, taking a look at that. But um, as I've said many times, you know, Hasidic philosophy is big into being real, being honest. And part of being real and being honest is 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 uh, overcoming the folly of our animal soul, because that's basically what our animal soul is. Our animal soul is not real. In other words, it doesn't have anything real to offer us. Nothing that it gives can last. Nothing that it's offering us is a good investment. Okay. So all it can do is make a smoke screen, which is basically folly. It's foolishness. It's It's fooling us. That's what it does to us. And Hasidic philosophy tries to make us recognize its tricks. That's why there's a saying that a, a real chassid is a kludenker. A real chassid is, is smart. It doesn't mean to be smart. You realize when the animal soul is trying to take hold and uh, throw things at us and trying to throw off balance. But all that was not really where I was going to start with today. I, I was just jumping on that because that was last week's discussion in that we all, at any moment, if we really want to take hold, in other words, if, if at any moment we decide that we are going to think consciously, if we use our conscious minds, we can realize that sinning is not where it's at because sins are the folly of the animal soul. And if we can tap into uh, our knowledge of ourselves that we don't really want to be disconnected from God, then it's easy to tell myself, well, I don't want to do that, right? Okay, but that was, again, that was last week and you can refer last week for more on that and good to see you, Ahava, as well. Um, now we will move on to this week. This week, we're, we're, we're jumping into, um, uh, this week we're jumping into a very interesting discussion. 
And that is, it harkens back to a question that started in chapter one. And it's a question that many people uh, wonder. And, you know, we've had these discussions over and over throughout the Tanya, but let's put it this way, right? Can I be a tzaddik? Can I be a tzaddik? Is that within my power? And you may have remembered, we've answered multiple times in the Tanya that the answer is no, you cannot be a tzaddik. So the next question is, if I cannot be a tzaddik, can I strive to be a tzaddik? And the answer is going to be yes. And then the question is going to be why? If you can't be a tzaddik, in other words, if you can never be fully righteous, and not only a tzaddik is more than fully righteous, a tzaddik is someone who is disgusted by the physical world. They don't find chocolate cake exciting, okay? They they find only mitzvahs exciting. That's the only thing that, that excites them. And if we don't, if we know that we'll never be a tzaddik, um, why would I ever try to be one, okay? And so that is going to be a discussion today. And the answer is going to be twofold. Um, the answer is going to be, number one, you can have tzaddik-like moments. And number two, there's also a remote possibility that even if you are not born with the innate nature of being able to be a tzaddik, God will be kind enough and give you a second soul. Now, it sounds crazy. But again, the second thing that Alter Rebbe says is it's possible, it's possible, I'm not saying it's very likely, but he says it's possible in Kabbalah, according to Kabbalah, that even if you are not born with a soul that can become a tzaddik, uh, God will give you that ability as a gift. So again, naturally, if you're like me, you're born bane any powers, uh, you'll try to be a tzaddik, you'll never get there. Tanya is saying you should still try to be a tzaddik. Number one is you can become a little bit like a tzaddik. You can, in your life, in certain areas of your life, learn to love God so much that it's God tastes like chocolate cake. You can learn to hate certain sins because they, they just disgust you. But on top of that, there is a remote possibility that you too can become a tzaddik. It's not promised, but it's possible. And so that is uh, just, um, again, for those who, I guess, for those who are really fascinated with soul things, you know, this is, today's discussion is, is very interesting. Um, we'll try and make it practical as, as well, but, uh, you know, there's a, a lot of uh, soul interesting um well, how should I put it? If your sole obsession is the soul, you know, all right, I'll leave the jokes alone. All right, let us take a look here at the text. So the first text we're going to look at today is, goes back to um, what we said in chapter one. We had a question. The question was that Job, in the book of Job, everybody's familiar with the book of Job? Job was a man who suffered a lot and he got very upset at God. And, uh, well, in the end, he kind of got upset. But anyways, regardless, he states, God, you have created righteous and you have created wicked people. And the question that everybody asks on that verse is, and and anybody who learns any scripture is like, wait, that's not fair. What happened to free will? Right? How can we say God creates righteous, God creates wicked? That's just, um, that doesn't work. But now that you've studied the Tanya, now you have a beautiful answer. Now that you've studied the Tanya, you know that it's not a problem. What Tanya is telling, what Job is telling you is that God, you created certain people with the ability to be a tzaddik, and you created certain people who do not have that ability, and therefore you created them as wicked, meaning they'll never have the ability to become a tzaddik. So let us read inside. So again, from a very theological perspective, this teaching on the Tanya is, is powerful because so many people 
don't understand. Now, not many people know the verse, but if you know the verse, it's a big question. It's a very big question. What does it mean that God creates uh, righteous and the wicked? So let us read it here. So having taught us that behavioral perfection, Benini, is immediately attainable, Tanya now explains why emotional mastery, Tzaddik, is for most of us beyond reach. So he says like this. This capacity for instant change is not so with matters of the heart. In the deep core of the animal soul, namely the evil and self-gratification, should actually be despised in your heart and either detested utterly, as is the case with the complete sadic, or detested but not utterly, as is the case with the incomplete sadic. While you may be able to conjure up these emotions, sometimes they cannot be achieved in a true, genuine way unless you develop an immense and powerful love for God. So what he's saying is like this. He's saying... The bane and need to do the right thing, everybody can do at any moment. You're promised you can do it at any moment. But to have actual feelings of disgust for this world, to have actual feelings of love, genuine love towards God is not promised. You can sometimes develop that love, but you can't always have it. And as he says, he describes what a tzaddik has. A tzaddik has a pleasurable love of God. So in other words, we sometimes have love of God that may be defined as a love, a self-love, okay? So we love ourselves, we love life, we know God is the source of life, so we'll connect to God. Or we may realize God is the greatest thing in the world, I want to connect myself to, to the greatest thing in this world, namely God. Uh, but what a tzaddik has is called pleasurable love, meaning he just loves God. He, he enjoys God. Um, he doesn't find anything else enjoyable. The same way that, that you know, some people like the Super Bowl, Okay, he likes, or and chicken wings, the tzaddik loves God. It's a pleasurable love. Let's read. As we learn in chapter 9, this can only be achieved by the experience of pleasurable love. To reach the level of tzaddik, you must experience pleasurable love, which is to take pleasure in God alone in a way that is a foretaste of the world that is coming. As the sage of blessed memory said, you shall see the next world in your lifetime. I want to stop on this line over here. Okay, remember, the general picture here is that we're not all going to be tzaddiks because we're not all going to have a pleasurable love of God. But something that I always say, the Tanya both has a general thesis, a general theme, and you can learn from all the general ideas, but along the way, it has so many mini lessons. And the mini lesson I want to jump in over here, not so related to our general discussion, is what it's saying here is about the world to come. So what am I talking about? I'm talking about like this. Many people um, wonder what happens when Mashiach comes. So, you know, we talk about elder, you know, everybody will have money and everybody will have what they need and there'll be no more pain, no more sorrow. But what do we actually do when Mashiach comes? The answer is we're all going to be religious and we're all going to we're all going to do mitzvahs and study Torah all day. And we're going to stop all our other fun activities. OK, no more top golf, no more, uh, you know, sports and, and, and all that other stuff. And so people want to know, like, so do I really want the Mashiach? You know, am I really you know, going to have to stop, you know, go eating my corned beef sandwich, you know? Uh, now, now, of course, there is eating in the first stage of Mashiach. It says in the second stage of Mashiach, there's no eating. But regardless, we understand that our obsession will be God. And that's that's all we're going to be allowed to do. And the question is, um, well, I don't really, uh, I don't know if I really want that. I mean, I, I, I kind of like my life. I would like, you know, kind of the life I have right now, just with no more, you know, just take away all the pain and sorrow. God, let's, you know, let's, let's, let's work this one out. Okay, let's bring the Mashiach. And I want the Mashiach to be, leave my fun, leave my games, leave my food, leave my pleasures, leave my, and also take away all the sorrow of the world. That's not what Mashiach is. Mashiach is, we sit and we bask in the divine light and glory, the long-term vision of Mashiach. So the answer is, 
that when Mashiach comes, that's what you're going to want. When Mashiach comes, that is going to be your pleasure. All the sports and fun and games, you're going to find your pleasure in God. That's where you're going to have your pleasure. And so that's what he means when he writes here that a tzaddik experiences the world to come while he's alive on this earth. In other words, a tzaddik experiences what we will all experience in the future. Okay? But that is ultimately, so when you see a tzaddik and you think they're denying themselves, no, they, they actually are enjoying life much more than we are. A tzaddik who, who has pleasure in God alone and doesn't enjoy the worldly pleasures, they uh, enjoy that much more than we enjoy any of the physical pleasures that we enjoy. Because all, first of all, physical pleasures are always disappointing. I always say, I always say, you know, speak, speaking to the sports fan, not that I don't call any sports, but, you know, you know, like if you win, if you win the big game, what do you want to do? And then and now you want to win the next year. And then if you lose the next and then the next year, you don't always win. So then if you lose, then you're upset again. It's like, but really any pleasure in life, food also, right? It's like you eat the good sandwich. It's good for five minutes. You're done. You're finished. It's finished. You know, it says the ancient Romans used to cause themselves to, to throw up whether really they did or they didn't. You know, they would eat gluttony, then they would throw up so they could eat some more. You know, they would cause themselves to throw up. You know, the worldly pleasures are not as pleasurable as God. God is a constant, wonderful pleasure if you can enjoy it. So a tzaddik is someone who really enjoys God. And, and by the way, you ever met really spiritual people? You know, you ever meet people who, uh, maybe they're not tzaddiks. They're not a tzaddik. They're not the fully high-level righteousness. But you could see they really enjoy life. They they are happy. They, they, they don't, you could tell. They're not feeling like they're denied in life. They're completely content and happy in what they do. And they don't need all these things, external things to make them happy. They don't need the ketchup and the mustard and the mayonnaise and the steak. Like they don't, they don't need it. They don't want it. And they're, and they're very happy in what they do. And we look at that. And then sometimes we look at it and say, you know, I wish I had that. You know, we, we look at those people and say, I wish I could, I wish I could find those pleasures. Okay. So I'm 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 left with the lower level pleasures. But you know, honestly, I think we would prefer their lifestyle if we if we could hack it. We just can't. So this is just one thing that I'm I'm picking out from this text over here is that uh, we should know that it's a beautiful thing to just enjoy God. We wish, we wish we could, we wish we could be there. We're not. We're not tzaddik. We wish we could be tzaddiks. We're not tzaddiks. And so maybe we, we, you know, and so this might be something that we'll explore further as we explore this end of this chapter further, but that might be, um, you know, something we try to do in our lives to find areas of godliness that we enjoy and have that great contentment and happiness and pleasure that comes from that. And you can't find anywhere else in life because worldly pleasures are like sugar. They're good and they dissipate. The only true pleasure is the pleasure in God. All right. Let us continue. Kids are godly, by the way. That's another that's a story for it. Um, let us continue. Um, so he says like this. If a person's pleasure is the worship of God alone, he has no desire for self-gratification and has really attained the level of the afterlife in this world. And that's what I was saying a moment ago. It's a beautiful thing. If you pleasure in God alone, you reach the uh, pleasure of the afterlife, which afterlife can refer either to after we pass away, we go to heaven, or when Mashiach comes. Which, by the way, just as an aside, when we pass away, also that's our enjoyment. When we go to heaven, you think they give us corned beef sandwiches over there? 
you think they give us a small tearing and uh, and uh, and uh, potato knishes? No, you're enjoying God over there. All right now he says like this. But not every person merits this because it is not so much an achievement of human worship, but kind of reward received from God, as we shall see at the end of the chapter. Pleasurable love is compared to the experience of the next world, not only due to its unusual intensity, but also to the stress that most people aren't able to reach it. If you do get there, it's more of a reward from God for your efforts than something you achieved entirely through your own efforts. As the verse states, I have given you the service of your priesthood as a gift, where priesthood is a metaphor for the love of God, as explained elsewhere. Okay. All right, you get the point. The point is that it's a gift from God to be a tzaddik. This insight will enable us to answer the, our remaining question from chapter one. This is why Job said, Master of the universe, you have created tzaddikim, you have created righteous people. In chapter one, we asked, how could Job imply that God created a person as righteous when this is surely something that is left to the individual's free choice? But now we understand that free choice only extends to our behavior, thought, speech, and action, i.e. whether or not we choose to become a Bainini. We do not have free choice over our deep core, whether we can consistently experience pleasure beloved and become a tzaddik. The ability to reach the level of a tzaddik is really a question of natural disposition of how we're created, as Job put it. As it is stated in Tikkun Zohar, so now he's going to prove his point from the Zohar, that among the souls of Israel, there are many levels of types, Hasidim, pious ones, giborim, strong ones who overpower the evil inclination, masters of the Torah, prophets, tzaddikim. Look there in the Tikkun Zohar. Okay, let's go to the next page. The Tikkun Zohar teaches us that different souls are suited to varying styles of worship. Some souls were created with the power to become tzaddikim and others are not. So, again, I think we've mentioned this topic before, but um, that is uh, that is uh, the concept. The concept is that when Job says you've created righteous people, it means people who are able to be righteous. you created people who are wicked. It means people who are not created with the ability to become righteous. Okay. So now, we're going to get to the next part. And um, before I start with the next part, um, well, I want to give a, a, a uh, preface. Anybody has any comments or questions on anything we said till now? You want to say? Maybe about being in Sadiq, finding pleasure in God. Now I'll move on to the next part. And this next part is a very interesting thought. We've touched upon it in different areas. And, and it gets to the core of how do we inspire ourselves to do more? But let me start with a story. Rabbi Levi Yitzchak Abreditchev, which I mentioned at the beginning of the class. He was known, as I said, the defense lawyer for the Jewish people. And he once said... He once turned to God and he says, God, can't judge these Jewish people. It's not fair. He says, what did you do? You put all the pleasures of the world out there for everybody to grab onto. It's all there. It's all around. And then you took all of the Torah teachings. You took all of the spirituality and you put it in a book. He says, God, let's do it the other way around next time. God, let us put all the pleasures of the world in a book. And put God all around. <laughs> in other words, it's not fair. Why, why, you know, why is it, uh, you know, it's not fair. You're putting, you're putting all the temptation out there and you're putting God in a book. Do it the other way around. Put temptation in a book. Put God out there. By the way, just as an aside, 
you might say that God tried that already in, in, the, in the Garden of Eden, right? Just, this is an interesting story, right? The Garden of Eden, in a sense, is kind of like that, right? God said, here, the Garden of Eden, go everywhere. It's amazing, you know? Go, you know, go grab anything you want in this garden. It's all godly. It's all good. Just, just one little tree don't take. You know, don't take that one tree. And of course, they went and took that one tree. So, uh, you know, I wonder the same thing. You know, it's like if you tell people, don't think about the pink elephant. That's where they go, right? So if, imagine if God came to this world and he put godliness everywhere. And he says, but don't look in this book. Uh, where would we go? Probably check the book. But anyways, uh, be that as it may. Um, the question is, this is really the question that, that Rebel Avias was getting to, is... How do we inspire ourselves to move past um, all of the um, temptations of the world? The world is a very tempting place. Naturally, it's a very tempting place. And how do we push ourselves uh, to move against this flood that, that comes at us, that, that, that's trying to pull our attention uh, all the time? And what Atanya is going to say and I guess this this is really let's let's take a business example. If you are running a business or exercise, right? Let's take exercise. If you're exercising, there's what they call or really anything you want to do in life. You want to run, you want to open up a business, you want to exercise. Um, you set goals. Now there are two types of goals. There are goals that are okay. I can do that. Then there are goals that are like. That's crazy. Okay. So if you start a business with a plan to become Warren Buffett, that's a little crazy. You know, you hear a lot of, um, I know sports players talk about like, you know, being the best, but like, is it really attainable for them to be the best? I mean, like the best is like a one in a, you know, million chance, you know? And so then a lot of people say, well, instead of trying to be the best, try to be the best you can be. So when we set goals in our lives, right? And goals help us, right? Without any goals, you don't go anywhere, right? So we understand we need to have goals. I think everybody would agree here, goals help us move forward. Um, the question is within goals. What type of goals do I, should I set for myself? Should I set for myself goals that are uh, very realistic or very unrealistic? And what the Altarab is going to say is that you should actually set for yourself both. The answer is not one or the other. You should set for yourself both because... Both of them have an upside and a downside. If you set for yourself very realistic goals, on the one hand, it's very attainable. On the other hand, it might handcuff you because you may not reach your full potential. You may uh, subsist and you may be happy with a low-level output. Conversely, um, if you set goals that are very lofty, it'll keep pushing you to do more. At the same time, you might get discouraged. So, you know, there's another way to play this game, which some people do is, all right, so let me set goals that are semi-realistic, but a little beyond, you know, like, uh, you know, if I know I can get, you know, 70% done, let me set a goal that's, uh, you, know, you know, let me set a goal that's 30 or 40% more than where I can reach, you know, something like that. So there's all different ways of playing this game. But what I'm saying is that Tanya is going to make the argument based on a statement in the Talmud, that the best way is to have two goals in life. And, and, and he'll have other reasons for it as well. But that's really what he's going to get to, is that on the one hand, we should have a goal of becoming a Bainani, which is attainable, technically. At the same time, we should also have a goal of becoming a Tzadik. And the reason why you should have a goal of becoming a Tzadik is twofold. Number one, 
Rabbi? Hello? Hello? He froze. He's frozen. <laughs> Can anybody call it Rabbi? I would do it if I wasn't driving in the winding road in the countryside. I think that by now he probably figured out, but I, I can talk to him. Hey, there he is. He's coming back on. Oh, good. I don't know what happened. My computer went down. Rabbi, where well, did you go? I don't know. I don't know, but uh, <laughs> but uh, my computer is still loading. <laughs> As you can, uh, as you can see, but uh, I'm here. Okay, I'm on the phone now, so okay. that's the best I could do. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna reset my, um, I'm gonna reset my, my router so that maybe it'll work again. But other than that, um, I will continue on the phone for a little bit. One second here. Sorry about that. Okay. I mean, God's plan, right? <laughs> oh, if I, absolutely. If I would get if I would get frustrated, I'd have to be um, I'd be fired, right? Okay. All right. So let us uh, let me let me continue what I was saying. So, yeah, that's kind of weird. All right. People are stopping at the green green light, so it's not just you, Rabbi. <laughs> you. Yeah. The computer. <laughs> Baruch Hashem, Baruch Hashem. Okay, so um, what, I, what I'm getting to is that what I was saying was that in life, there's um, there's this, uh, you know, question is which which goal is better? And what the Tanya is going to make the argument is we should do both. Because we should both have a lofty goal, have the maximum goal, and have the realistic goal. Now, I know some of you may ask, and it's a fair question to ask, all right, but kind of both of the goals don't sound realistic. In other words, a tzaddik, obviously, we know it's not realistic, but even, even the bane and knee is not a realistic goal, uh, to be 100% a bane and knee, to, to never do anything wrong. And my answer to that is the same as I think I've said the last couple of weeks. Our, our thought about the bane and knee is not what I was you know, yesterday and what I am tomorrow. It's right now the decision I'm making right now. What goals do I have in mind every moment? You know, we think of goals as long-term goals, but we are, at every moment we have a decision to make. What are my driving goals right now? What, what's driving me right now? That was that was uh, what the Tanya really said last week was like, all that matters is right now, right? That was last week's discussion. All that matters is right now. And so in that sense, right now, I have the choice to be a Bainani in this moment. And I also have the choice to strive to be a Tzaddik to some extent. 
Now, the thought of being a tzaddik and striving to be a tzaddik is not, as I, my understanding of the Tanya is that the striving to be a tzaddik is not necessarily something you do every moment, but the, the, the striving to be a bainini is something you try to do every moment. In other words, what does it mean to strive to, what is the goal of being a bainini, right? So let me go back to my, what I was saying earlier, right? There's, there's two, two layers of goals, right? There's the very realistic goal and the higher goal. The realistic goal of being a bainini is something you should strive every moment. In other words, every moment I have a choice to make. If I'm if I'm thinking consciously, I should think I want to be a bainini right now. Then there's the more lofty goal of being a tzaddik. The way I'm reading the Tanya, and I'm not sure it's true, but the way I'm reading the Tanya is I'm not sure that the striving to be a tzaddik is an every moment thing, but there are moments when one will strive to be a tzaddik. That's how I'm reading it. And uh, it kind of makes sense based on our discussion that... Um, the lofty goals, the really lofty goals, especially when you know it's out of reach, um, they can put you to do more. But I think if you if you focus on it all the time, uh, I think that could be depressing. So focusing on the bainini, which even that's a little bit of a stretch, but focusing on being a bainini, uh, that is something you could think every moment. At, at, you know, at this moment when I have a choice. Again, the problem is we, we as I said last week, we, we're focused on judging ourselves, and Natanya's saying. The point is not to judge yourself. Are you a Tadik? Are you a Benini? Are you a Russia? Who cares about judging yourself? Our focus is right now, what are you going to be? What's your decision right now? That's where uh, the magic happens. Okay. Let me, uh, oh, I think I can share a screen even in here. Yeah, I can. Okay, that's cool. Can I, can I say just something real quick? Yes, yes. Say it while I get this photo up. Yeah. Because, uh, one of the points that I'm thinking of is that if we are directed and encouraged by Hashem to be happy people all the time, why not? I mean, even in sadness, you should recover quickly and find the um, blessing that Hashem's will is good. But the, mm -hmm. the, the search for happiness is I'm about being in the present. Okay. You're gonna hear yourself twice. All right, there. I'm back. Anybody wants to talk? So you know I can hear you. I was I was just there, uh, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. finished basically with what I was saying. Okay. Okay. Good. Yeah. Sorry, I was just hearing myself twice, so I, I just had to say stop for a second. There was an <laughs> echo. Yeah, yeah, because I was on twice. Okay. All right, so let's let's read the Tanya here. Truthfully, I'm going to go through a little more text right now. Um, let's read it over here. All right, so it sounds like this. This will also enable us to explain the re repetition and the oath which the soul swears before birth. Be it tzaddik, do not be a Russia. So in chapter one, we quoted that before we're born, we have to promise, we have to promise to God that we will be righteous, we will not be wicked. And he says, at first glance, this seems bizarre, because if the soul has already been made to swear an oath to be a tzaddik, what is the point in making him swear a further oath, don't be a Russia, don't be wicked? Right? Well, why do you need both promises? We did not pose this question in chapter one, but now we can answer it. So he says like this, rather, since not everyone is privileged to become a tzaddik, it is not enough just to promise to be a tzaddik, a task in which the soul may never succeed, for a person does not have a significant degree of free choice, whether or not he will experience a steady pleasure or love for God. 
or if he will on a consistent basis absolutely detest evil, these two qualities being the hallmark of a tzaddik. So again, we tell them, try to be a tzaddik. But we know not everybody can be a tzaddik. Therefore, we have a second thing we tell them, right? So again, there's a lofty goal, and we say, but we know not everybody's going to get there. So now we give them a second option. Therefore, since the soul may not succeed with the first oath, it is made to swear a second one. If you try to become a tzaddik and do not succeed, at the very least, do not be a Russian, actually sin. Rather, make sure you remain a Benini. Because in this matter, every person does have the freedom of choice and autonomy to overcome the desires which arise in his heart and to win over the impulse of evil so that he will not be a Russia for even a moment in his entire life. And this consistency is possible both in the areas of turn away from evil, refraining from the negative, and in the realm of do-good positive behavior. Mushki? Baby's crying. And good refers to nothing other than Torah, namely the study of Torah, which is equal to law. Okay, no, that was a, a side point. But what he's saying here is that we make you promise the high level. And even if you can't get there, we want you to try to at least not be wicked. In other words, be a Benini. So again, every one of us has to have these two goals in mind. Try to be a tzaddik, and if you can't be a tzaddik, at least be a Benini. Now, here he's going to explain why you should strive to be a tzaddik, even if you know that you'll never be a tzaddik. So he says like this, the sobering reality check that you will probably never reach the level of a tzaddik doesn't mean that you should stop trying. Before you were born, your soul swore an oath that it would always try to be a tzaddik, even if it would never get there. This is not a case of banging your head against the wall, trying to succeed in a task, task which is doomed from the start. Even if you can't achieve the emotions of a tzaddik in their full depth and on a consistent basis, you can achieve them partially on occasion, and such an experience will be immensely beneficial, as we shall see. A tzaddik takes pleasure in worshiping God like you would enjoy a plate of good food. And he is disgusted by the idea of self-gratification, just as you are disgusted by, disgusted by dirt and filth. The key then to fulfilling your oath is to spend some time contemplating the emptiness of physical pleasures and the joy of worship. Okay, so what is he saying here? He's saying here, you may not be a tzaddik born with a natural love of God. But nevertheless, um, you can work on yourself to sometimes have those feelings. In other words, a tzaddik can always have those feelings. That's what makes a tzaddik a tzaddik. He, they always have those feelings of love and pleasure in God and disgust for the world. Now, even if we don't have that constant layers, we can work on ourselves to have that sometimes. And I'll put it in another way. The meaning that we can be abandoning, literally all, all that means is that I have the ability to make the right choice. But that doesn't mean necessarily I'm changing my feelings. What Atanya is saying is you should be a tzaddik. It's not a, like, well, you can't be a real tzaddik, so be a partial tzaddik. The Tanya's thought of being a tzaddik is work on yourself. Do work on your emotions. Do try to be more tzaddik-like. The fact that you can't be a tzaddik, all that means is that you cannot always have that level of inspiration. But that doesn't mean that you cannot slowly change who you are. And in fact, many people would argue this is actually the long-term calling of the Tanya. The long-term calling of the Tanya is mostly about working on our love of God and disgust of the world. 
that's really uh, working on our inner emotions is really the work of the Tanya, being a tzaddik. So I would say this this is actually a cornerstone of the Tanya. Some people even don't realize it. They think it's just he's answering a technical question. This is actually a cornerstone teaching of the Tanya. The tahit tzaddik, be a tzaddik, is a cornerstone teaching of the Tanya that we should work to become like a tzaddik. Even though I will not be a tzaddik, I should work to be like a tzaddik. And what does it mean to be like a tzaddik? To have feelings towards God and feelings of hate and disgust towards the world. So let us read further what he says. Nevertheless, you ought to designate at least some time to seek advice for your soul, to develop a disgust for evil. It is not expected of you to despise evil consistently. So I'm going to focus on the world. Consistently. That's the difference. This is what it means you're not going to be a tzaddik. You're not going to consistently despise evil. You're not going to consistently love God. But that does not mean that you should not work towards um, uh, towards having those feelings. Now he's going to give some practical examples in disgust. Okay, Love is, is the main discussion of the Tanya, but in disgust. For example, to counter sexual temptation, our sages advise that in a moment of unwanted urge, and, they, and they're going to refer to men's urge in this specific case, but they can refer to the other way around, arise to look at a woman as a pouch full of feces and other similar ideas. Now, that may sound very uncomplimentary. Now, what it means is, and I'll explain just so you don't think it's wrong, you know, it's it's demeaning woman. Um, what it means is that, and I'll get to Esmeralda's question in a moment, what it means that technically, actually, you know, let, 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 let's read what he writes here. The mind game with this teaching plays is to supplant an image that the man finds attractive with one that has naturally repulsed him. Logically, there's no reason why a man should find a woman attractive. As Rashi comments on this passage, the male attraction to female is a rational divine decree. Similarly, there's no logical reason why we should be particularly repulsed by feces, a mixture of water, cellulose, and minerals. But that is human nature. Male attraction can easily be turned off by something he finds unattractive. Playing on this weakness, the sages suggest that when a man's sexual attraction is undesirably strong, he should imagine the woman's intestines full of the very same fecal substance that he finds naturally repulsive. Perhaps by this change of perspective, will burst the bubble of his excitement. Now, so basically what he's saying is like this, and you can look at it in a different way as well, is naturally a body is just, uh, is just flesh, bones, you know, uh, feces. I mean, that's what we're full of, honestly, in the inside of us. Um, another way of looking at it is like thinking about what's the end game. Let's let's say food, for example. Food is another example he's just going to discuss in a moment. Actually, I read food. So to when tempted by food, he can imagine how all delicious foods and delicacies end up as a pouch with, full of feces. Thinking what a delicate, de delicious delicacy is going to look after it has been digested may remove from you the spell of its allure and stop you from wanting to eat it. The psychology here is that the light and repulsion are very opposite, that as soon as something is associated with repulsive imagery, it'll be hard for you to find it delightful again. So these are just examples, by the way. Um, so first I want to say that that the, the Talmud is not saying, you know, we, we look down on women. It's the same thing as men. Men are also a, a pouch full of feces. It's, 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 it's a statement of fact. What is a human body? It's It's flesh, Holding together a bunch of bones and muscles and 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 fecal matter, naturally it's disgusting. Okay, the only reason we like things is because God made it that way. Why do we like lasagna? Why do we like you know? Why why do why do we get attracted to people? It's a decree from God. There's no logical explanation for it. 
It's the nature that God placed within us. And so what the Tanya is saying here is that, you know, it's kind of a cooling down technique. It's, again, these are just techniques. Is that now it's not saying you should look at that at your wife like that, okay? It's saying if you're attracted to something negative, somebody, you know, a person that you shouldn't be attracted to, okay, someone else's wife or something like that, um, just remember they're just just the human body. What is human body? Flesh, bones, fecal matter. Don't get too excited. Um, so these are ways, these are mind games, which allow us to not get so excited by the world. Now, someone asks here, is God gave us this world, so why should we be disgusted by this world? We're disgust, we should be disgusted by the physical. It's a good question. I was going to say an answer. I'm not sure I want to say that answer. The question is, you're asking is, why should we be disgusted by um, why should we be disgusted by the world? Now, this goes back to something we discussed earlier. People had a lot of questions about Atzadik in general. Atzadik is not excited about good chocolate cake, right? That's what we discussed. Atzadik is someone who's not doesn't look at chocolate cake and say, wow, that looks really good. I want to eat it, right? We are excited by chocolate cake. And so what we said, our job is to eat chocolate cake in a way that, that helps us, right? So if eating chocolate cake will make me more excited to study, I should eat the chocolate cake and enjoy it. That's the way I should live my life. Um, what I think he's referring to here, the moments of disgust, should be when those pleasures are getting in the way of our service of God, then we should work on, on, on disgusting it. So for example, just for example, his mind game about looking at a woman in a disgusting way, I, I don't think he ever would tell you you should do that to your wife. Similarly, when he's talking about looking at food as, as you know, feces, I don't think he's referring it to food that you need to eat or food you're eating on Shabbos. It's my guess. I'm just throwing out a guess here. I'm supposing he's saying use these techniques of being like a tzaddik in times when you sh when you need to use it, when there's something that's would be negative for you. Okay, there's there's good food. Let's say uh, you just ate some meat and now you want to eat some cheese. I don't know. Because, and, and by the way, you, the, to, to answer your other question, why do we need to discuss the world God gave it to us to enjoy? I think the other part of it is that you cannot fully love God and be in love with the world. That's really the other part, is that love to God is, if you have a complete love to God, where God is pleasurable, you won't find anything else pleasurable. In other words, we only find chocolate cake pleasurable because we've never experienced the full pleasure of God. If we would experience, if we would actually experience the full pleasure of God, we would not find pleasure in chocolate cake. We would not find pleasure in sports. The only reason we, we have both pleasure of God and pleasure of, of the world is because We've never experienced that full pleasure of God. If you were to experience, if you were to truly experience that pleasure in God, you would find the world unattractive. You would find it wasteful. You would find it a waste of your energy, a waste of your pleasure, a waste of your desire. 
Um, so it's a good question to ask, but that's our perspective. In other words, we do enjoy steak. And so we need to use steak in a way that enhances our Jewish life. We need to eat steak on Shabbos or we need to eat steak to help us study a topic better. But when you're a tzaddik, steak will do nothing for you. The pleasure of steak will do nothing for you because you have so much more pleasure in God than you have in steak. So you're not going to... You're not going to eat steak and then decide that, oh, wow, now I can learn so much better, right? I mean, you're a tzaddik. You, you, you operate, if you're if you're a complete tzaddik, that is, you know, you're operating at a totally different level. But if if you're not a complete tzaddik, then no, then we should use the pleasures of this world in ways that enhance our godly life. But nevertheless, the Tanya is saying, is even though we will never be exotic and therefore we will never look at this world as disgusting or unattractive, let's put it that way, unattractive. Um, there are moments where we can say, let me find this unattractive. Let me work on finding the physical things that are a problem for me. Let me look at them as unattractive. All right, you ask a follow-up question. There are other things besides food that give you spiritual pleasure and not just physical. I enjoy a lot of nature. It makes me happy to look at it. Um, yeah, so that might be a spiritual pleasure. The nature might be Rabbi. spiritual pleasure. Just one second. That, just one second. Yeah. It says that the uh, the great tzaddikim would go in the forest to pray to God because they would feel more connected to God in nature. I don't know that we're at tzaddik level, but again, we have those elements of it. One more, one last thing I want to point out is people ask all the time, you know, if, if God didn't want us to have it, why did he create it? That's not a fully valid argument. Now, if you quote Talmud, you might have some arguments, but you could say God placed it there to test us. Okay. But be that as it may, again, I believe as what I said before to be true is that um, pleasures of this world, um, Sadiqim, do not find them pleasurable at all. We are meant to use the pleasures of this world in ways that enhance our connection to God, ways I described and ways we described earlier in Atanya. Nevertheless, well, we know that when Mashiach comes, ultimately we are not going to find the pleasures of this world enjoyable. And we know that if we were to be tzaddikim, we wouldn't find this world enjoyable. And therefore, when we have the opportunity, um, we should calm our, uh, calm our desires down a little bit. And, and I think that that will enable us to appreciate God more. So, for example, um, just because we enjoy steak, you know, how involved do I have to get into it? You know, do I need to go to the, to the top steakhouse and buy the best steak that's there? Maybe if I'm a multimillionaire. But this is the other thing I'm trying to say is that, you know, calm ourselves down a little bit. You know, like they say, like, it's only food, you know? I think this is kind of what the time is telling us. Like, if you really want to enjoy God, you got to calm down a little bit about this world, you know? If you're too 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 hits, as they say, if you're too hot and you know, too excited about this world, it's going to affect your excitement about God. It, it, it's one of the same coins. Um, so you keep at wondering, are we supposed to discuss this world? So again, the, let me put it in other words. The tzaddik that discusses this world is a natural thing to him. In other words, he loves God, he, therefore he... I don't know if disgust, he doesn't find the world exciting. Let's put it that way. I don't think it's disgust. He doesn't find the world exciting. And I think he would look at people who are very involved in physical things as disgusting. You know? Um, 
the, the Tanya here that's telling you, take time to discuss things in this world. I said, number one, I think are referring to things that are, um, you know, not good for you. But number two, remember, this is an artificial disgust. Okay. This is that we're trying to be exotic. In other words, I'm not naturally exotic. I don't naturally discuss this world. I'm trying to impose upon myself something that's not really me. In other words, my real me is not disgusted by this world. I'm trying to convince myself that I'm disgusted. And I think that's why the focus is on disgust. Tzaddik doesn't have to ever take time and say, oh, I, I, I hate chocolate cake. You know, he never spends that time. He just doesn't enjoy it. Um, I don't know if I'm answering your question. You, you, you're asking a very good question. I'm not sure I'm giving the right answer. I'm giving, I'm telling you what I think. Um, but I think we have to come to the, I think ultimately you have to come to the Tanya's opinion that at least what i think his opinion is that um worldly pleasures affect our spirituality he said that multiple times i think he even said recently right the longer you live the more you use your body and the harder it is to connect to god and he said that multiple times uh, he he understands that we will never be exotic and we will never be disgusted by this world. And therefore he says, you have to use the physical, the physicality of this world for positivity once you recognize who you are. But nevertheless, don't ever convince ourselves that it's it, it doesn't take away from our love of God. You know, it might, you know, I have to live within who I am and what God placed me. But also have to realize that as a spiritual person, uh, physical pleasures take away from spirituality. The, the more involved you are in, in the physical world, um, the less spiritual you're going to be able to be. I mean, you know, there are, you know, the great spiritual people are not enticed by this world. Even, by the way, uh, not Jewish spiritual people. Uh, that's why not Jewish spiritual people are very uh, detached from this world. I think it's not just... I think first some of them don't even find pleasure in this world, and um, um, even those that do, they realize that you know the world would would give them trouble to being spiritual. That being said, you might say, well, but Judaism is not about you know disengaging from this world. We play a hard dance, you know. I think I've said many times, you know, the middle path is always the hardest. You know, playing the two the, the two sides is very difficult. Okay, so. I think I think we said in the earlier chapters, right? Is that the real test of life is in the middle, right? It's easy to know what's bad, right? It's easy to 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 stay away from you know sins to some extent, right? We know what's bad. It's also easy to do a mitzvah because we know what's good. The hardest part of life is those things in life which are uh, not a sin, not technically a mitzvah. How do we take those elements of life and elevate them? And it's it's a difficult dance that we're playing. On the one hand, we have to realize who we are, use our natural pleasures and use all those things for good. At the same time, as the dance is telling us, is that nevertheless, you have to realize that the more you experience the world, the more you, uh, the harder it is for you to be spiritual. It's... Um, it's a difficult dance. I guess I have to think about it more. It's a very good question. Um, you say Chabad doesn't disengage from the world, but that doesn't necessarily mean we're focusing on the pleasures of the world. So, for example, the Rebbe says we shouldn't shun 
TV. We should use TV to broadcast Torah classes. Same thing we're doing with the internet. We don't shun the internet. We use it to broadcast. But that doesn't mean I get a TV to, to watch all types of TV shows. Okay? That's, right? The Rebbe was told people not to have TVs in their house. You know, we'll use the TV for positivity. But, uh, you know, as you know, he, he, he would speak, you know, now again, I'm not saying necessarily to you, but he would speak to his Hasidim, like, why do you have a TV in your house? Right? He would, he would give, and he would give reasonings why we shouldn't have them in our houses. Um, so there's a balance in life with engaging with the physicality of the world and being enamored and pulled in by it. And I think with the Tanya here, when it's telling us we have to take moments in our lives to be disgusted by the world, I, th I think it's very simple. It's basically telling you, cool, cool it, you know? I know you're a Bainini and you have to deal with this world, but just remember it's the world. Just remember, this is, I guess, the best perspective I have on this. You are a Bainini and you are going to use the world and you're going to use your natural pleasures and you're going to engage with the world and you're going to turn your world spiritual. But just remember you're dealing with the world. And the world has its pitfalls and its issues. And your ultimate goal in life is to love God. And just remember that food that you're using for Torah class, sometimes you need to remind yourself. It's, it's just food. The sports, it's just sports. The exercise, just exercise. Remember, all these things are just physical. And the real truth and the real goodness in life is God. And that's what we're going to get. Uh, great line of air. Balance is the key word. Perspective on the role of the world is also key. Um. Yeah, and and balance is the key, but, but I guess what I also said is balance is hard. Balance is one of the hardest things in life. And that's really what Tanya is trying to do here, I think, is that um, it's telling us that um, although you're a Bainini and you're never going to be a Tzaddik and therefore you're going to enjoy the pleasures of the world and therefore the earlier chapter says use your enjoyment of the world for positivity, take moments to be like a Tzaddik to remind yourself that it's it's just the world. Um, because the Tanya ultimately wants us to be able to have more love of God. And if we're too enamored by the world, it's it's harder for us to have that love of God. Um, okay, so so we'll have to come back next week, but that's how he ends up here is is basically, we need to take moments in our life to realize that the physical pleasures, are inherently nothing special. They're only special because God gave us a nature that we enjoy them. But naturally, there's nothing special about food. There's nothing special about spiritual uh, sexual attraction. There's nothing special about anything, really. It's some nature God placed in us. But if you really dig down into any of these items, really nothing special there. Um, and so we need to meditate sometimes. You know, and I'll read what he says here in, in a practical time. He says this word. I'll just end up with this. Using these types of meditation, even those of us who will never become tzaddikim, can begin to chip away the deep emotional core of our animal soul. And this is the words I wanted to point to you. And tone down our desire for self-gratification a few notches. And that's, I guess, the takeaway. We need to sometimes tone down our desire for self-gratification. And that's really what this is about. Is that sometimes we need to take time and say, just cool it. It's just, it's just it's just physicality. Don't don't get caught up in it. Uh, we'll have to end because it's one o'clock, but um, we'll uh, continue next week with uh, seeing how we can become on the positive side, like a to create love of God.